All right. So we're going to get started because we should all be enjoying our winter vacation. Um, hi, everyone. Thank you for joining us. We are holding space today to wrap up our first season of Disrupting Place, which our first episode came out, I think, oh, I should know this, September, October, <laughs> which is pretty incredible i think to say that we we released four episodes before this one which is very exciting um and so today i thought it would be nice if we kind of wrap up season one together um open up the space to allow anyone that has any questions or comments or suggestions maybe for the next season next semester um and just kind of go over some current events that we uh, kind of put on the side while we were recording our episodes because they deserve, I think, their own space and they're very relevant to what we talk about, but they might deserve a little bit of their own time. Um, so, so yeah, so thank you everyone for joining. Before we get started, I'm going to do a quick land acknowledgement. Disrupting Place acknowledges that we live and labor on Indigenous land. Manny lives and works on Cahuilla territory, renamed the San Jacinto Mountains. I live and work on the unceded lands of the Keech Gabrielino people, renamed the Los Angeles Basin. We offer this land acknowledgement as the first of many steps we all need to collectively take toward reparations. To learn about what unceded lands you are currently inhabiting, visit Native Lands Digital Mapping Project at nativeland.ca. Uh, so yeah, welcome everyone to Disrupting Place. My name is Ashley. I'm an architecture and gender studies student and my pronouns are she, her, hers, ella. Hey folks, how's it going? My name is Manuel, but I prefer Manny. Uh, I'm a college educator of gender and sexuality, race and ethnicity studies, and my pronouns are he, him, his, and él. Wonderful. Again, hi everyone. We're very happy for you to join us. We're hosted by AWA Plus D today. So thank you to the Association for Women in Architecture and Design for supporting us since the beginning. And again, allowing us, lending us this space to be together. Um, today, we're just gonna go over content from our past few episodes, catching up with each other because we took a break. <laughs> we took a break from each other after recording, busy semester at Cal Poly. Um, and going to talk about some current events. So, but before we get started, we're going to do some spoons, quick spoon check-ins. So Manny, how are you, how are your spoons today? They're well. I'm uh, glad this semester is over. It's been quite unkind just in terms of time and energy. Holistically, it's just been exhausting. I'm ready to put it to rest and get some winter break in, spend some time with family and my two little pups and excited to get some home projects done. So yes. awesome. Yeah, I'm with you on that note. My spoons are very happy because the semester is over and I had a couple deadlines after the semester ended, which I was like, wow, we're still doing this. Okay. We're still going, but yeah, I would say my spoon count is very happy today because I can take a little, you know, deeper breath and relax my shoulders a little bit. Um, still working, but yeah, very happy. The semester was very tough. How have you been feeling? Myself? Yeah, with the I oh, with COVID, I guess. <laughs> I guess oh, that's the question. Yeah. Um, I think it's bittersweet. I have to 
I think there's a lot of learning that has been done in these past mm -hmm. few semesters, what we're almost going on two semesters or two years now that we've been uh, mostly virtual. Um, but I'm also not convinced that this thing is over quite yet. There's new information, conflicting information that comes out left and right. And uh, I try to stay away from the media as much as I can and not believe everything. Most right. I can do is just take care of myself and encourage my students to take care of themselves, their family and each other. Um, I feel like there's this pressing need to be perfect <laughs> right mm. now. Um, as you say, we see some light, but we're not quite there yet. Um, and I don't know how the spring semester is going to pan out given that the new variant continues to evolve. Um, but I remain hopeful and optimistic despite that being extremely difficult. Um, but overall, I, I feel okay. I'm happy to be alive, be healthy and um, humble to still be working with students in this capacity. Yeah, I love that perspective. I, I definitely think for, for me, it's interesting considering the, the impact COVID, COVID has had and like how we occupy space, like not only whether it's like by ourselves and what that means being alone a lot or with other people, whether it's at home with family or at school with maybe classmates that we know or maybe classmates that we don't. So it is a very interesting um, sort of thing to mediate I let's go into kind of reflecting on our past few episodes. I feel like that foundational material has been very relevant to current events that have been going on, but I think maybe we should kind of reflect on what material we went over and what significant it has to like maybe each of us like in our respective sort of studies. Um, so Shada, our third host, couldn't be with us today. We're sending so many well wishes and big hugs to Shada today. Um, but we did a disability justice episode together and she introduced amazing information and history on the disability justice movement. Um, and I said it many times in the episode, but I just love learning about disability justice because it never really came up in other classes before. And I just think it's um, it's so impactful. I think whether you've had some sort of experience with disability or someone that you know that is disabled um, or not, it really makes you reflect on like how, you, again, like how you occupy space, how you move through space um, and how space is sort of uh, like designed for a certain body, which I think is very interesting. But I'd love to hear your thoughts, Manny, since you, you didn't, you weren't a part of the episode with us, but I'd love to hear your thoughts. Um, I think as we talk about space and, and I think it's connection to the last episode that you and I had with power, mm -hmm. privilege and oppression and positionality, I think it's always important to remind myself, right, of um, those identities that award me um, certain mm -hmm. privileges in certain spaces and how I show up in certain conversations and even here today with y'all as well. Um, but I'm always mindful of how that translates in and out of different contextual spaces, environments, um, with family, with friends, relationships, um, and also more recently in the classroom, virtually, mm -hmm. right? Um, giving people the opportunity to process, right, and ask questions. Um, and I think as we, you know, we, we are framing our discussions around identities and how that looks 
or how these identities look in the larger social world. These are just things that are always at the forefront um, of my mind from, I think, a place of um, wellness, mm-hmm. right? And, and being humble. Um, I would think of the concept of cultural humility, right? Where um, I'm not the one necessarily to know everything about a specific culture or identity or somebody who identifies differently than me. Right. So I take it upon myself to use the Google, which is what I laughably introduced in our last episode, um, right? Because information is constantly evolving and changing based on the demographic um, of people in certain contextual spaces, right? As we as we discussed, so I'm mindful of that and and how um, I need to be um, in a place of advocacy. Uh, also, I think it's also influenced by my role as, 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 as a professor, as, as a mentor, working with students in different capacities who have different learning styles. Um, and I think that this is really translated into the work that I do and also the clinical work that I'm doing mm-hmm. as well. Yeah, that's great. I, I, I love listening to your perspective on it since it's kind of, I'm still a student, but I've also been, I mean, it's not the same, but being a teacher's assistant, I also see the other side of like how students are navigating a course online and what that means to like redefine a classroom. But I I think the, it's interesting being on Zoom because it, there's definitely um, pros of how accessible it is wherever you are. And one way or another, you can get connected to your classmates and your instructor. And in another way, thinking back on the class that I had with you and with Shada, you know, being online full time, just having that, that um, extra time for myself, as opposed to driving to campus or having that extra time or being able to turn the camera off to really think about what's going on in the classroom. I think it's very interesting and like how it impacts how we relate to the material and like making us rethink, you know, how we engage with each other to learn something new. But uh, the, the content on that episode is very obviously like interrelated with what we talk about in the next one about privilege, about intersectionality, right? And I think I think on both sides, um, it's important to remember like how privileged we are because we don't, many able-bodied, you know, or like neurologically abled people, we don't have to think about our disabilities every day, right? We don't, we don't frame our perspective in like, oh, I'm disabled in this way, or this thing is preventing me from something else. Right. And I think on another way, it's like teaching us to be empathetic with each other and think more about care and how we actually practice care with ourselves and with each other. Um, so I definitely think it's, it's just such a special thing to like integrate into your everyday life, whether you are you, you see yourself as part of this community, or like you said, you're an adv- advocate for this community. Um, and I think allyship and advocacy has come up a lot. And I feel like that's probably going to be a very important episode for us next semester. Um, but yeah, do you have anything else to add? Well, you mentioned a lot. I think a lot that I've been, <laughs> I've learned um, in a good way, right? I've mm-hmm. learned this semester and I've something that I've practiced in the past, but I'm more so redefined it based on student need and meeting mm-hmm. the demands of students respectfully, right? Um, oftentimes um, when we speak about disability justice, I'm often reminded of working with the DRC on campus and getting requests for students who might need different accommodations and, and working with them, but also not assuming that they need something 
mm-hmm. right? But putting a feel for, hey, if you need something, let me know. If you have something from the DRC or requested information or assistance, um, I know of it. So let me know how I can support you in that way. And then you also mentioned something that really resonated with me. And I had this conversation with some colleagues in the department not too long ago about Mm -hmm. how the mode of learning specifically in higher education institutions is shifting to virtual learning, right? Whether that's asynchronous or synchronous, And I think a lot of the students at Cal Poly, uh, a lot of them are first gen, low income, um, full-time working students. Like this past semester, I had a student who was working three jobs to put food on the table for their family. Um, Mm. And that's a lot, right? That's a lot of work. And then being a full-time student, I also have students who are just trying to get in or who are in, um, who are at Cal Poly, but are also in, in, I feel like in a rush to get out. And I, and, I, and I respect that I had a student taking 26 units. I said, how? How? I didn't even know they allowed that. <laughs> That's exactly what I thought. But to each their own and perhaps school's the only thing that they have to do. And um, that's none of my business. But I think that um, equity-minded and being and operating from a, a, a headspace of accessibility for students, I think um, the virtual learning platform provides much more of an opportunity and the liberty of students learning at their own pace within a given time frame, mm-hmm. um, and I like how you how you said that that's something to be mindful of in terms of uh, providing access, equity, and really operating from a place of inclusion for diverse students who have different learning um, needs and who learn differently. Um, I think that that's a great thing to consider. I would I would advocate that all faculty may consider that. I know I do moving into the spring. You know, there's always things to learn, things to modify, things to edit, Um, but operating from that framework of how is it that I can best support the students who have diverse learning needs is is critical to pedagogy. Absolutely, and you know, kind of going back to our first topic of like how COVID is going, I think that there needs like, yeah, like learning to understand that maybe some people feel especially unsafe in those circumstances and not, you know, not forcing anyone to, to sacrifice that, you know, um, need for safety or that need for like peace of mind, you know, within like these new conditions that we're, cause we're all going through it. But I think that this, I feel like I'm constantly, um, realizing that some instructors maybe just assume, well, I, I would probably be fine. Or, you know, like this very like narrow-minded belief that like, well, I did it and I was fine. I I could do it and I'd be okay. You know, it's like just very, you know, um, opening up our perspective on like how other students are, are dealing with this like very unprecedented situation, maybe not unprecedented, but you know, it's like very unlike anything that we've dealt with before. And I, I guess, going back to how we consider space, also thinking about people's physical conditions during this time um, and how maybe this more accessible platform is a way to like mitigate, you know, certain, um, what's called like privileges and like um, ability to like access different spaces and all these things. Well, I know the college has stepped up um, from what I've, been told or from what I briefly read that they're providing um, lending laptops to students. Mm-hmm. 
Um, I don't know from I don't know from a faculty's perspective, but I know two students who have benefited from that program or for that loan program, um, which is great. But it's also there's all the there are other systemic issues that mm -hmm. need work, and <laughs> perhaps that's another topic for another conversation. <laughs> but the identifying of these issues um, is one thing, but how to go about addressing them in order to arrive at a more equitable space for students um, is important. Absolutely, and I feel like that goes back to our theme of like, let's do a needs assessment, right? Because it's like you don't know until you know <laughs> until you ask the people that are most impacted by it. And I I think I'll speak on behalf like for myself within um, the architecture major. There's a lot of like even like the Cal Poly motto, right? It's like learn by doing or like do, you'll figure it out. Do it by yourself. And I think that they're they're I think that it's time for a little bit of pushback on that and saying like. I think we deserve a little more care in these spaces because I don't know, it's, it's, there's a, a big culture of like sacrificing your self-care, sacrificing time with in regular life to commit to something, which I, I understand, you know, there's like a balance, but I think especially COVID has really exposed that like, maybe that's not entirely necessary and that there's other things that people are going through that maybe influence how we actually perform in school and and react to certain criticism and things like that so I definitely think it's very interesting like within this like disability justice framework how we reconsider care and how we reconsider um our physical space especially during a pandemic right mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. um in conjunction with Shada um the concept and the importance of incorporating self-care and personal wellness into mm -hmm. our courses is an integral part of, I think, who I've become as a professor and also as a person in my own personal mm -hmm. life, um, to which I think is very important to student success. Um, like this past semester, I offered self-care and personal wellness for extra credit, and a student um, humbly asked, why do you care? <laughs> Right, I don't, I don't think she had shared it from a, from a place of disrespect, but to me that was a, a, the undertone of the message was no, no other professor has done this before. So this is new to me, um, mm -hmm. to which why I think that it's very critical that I continue that moving into the spring semester. And then I also think just institutions of, of higher ed or really the field of higher education, um, doesn't reward that in so many ways. There's this constant need um, as faculty. And then also I would imagine as students too, to always produce, 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 mm -hmm. right? As if we have this endless amounts of energy, just like my two little pups. Um, but it's not that way, right? Uh, students are not robots, faculty are not robots. Um, and so I, I, I tell students, be tender with yourselves, give yourself some grace. Now it's not the time to be perfect. Um, especially given what's going on sociopolitically sociopolitically, and all of the foolishness that has been happening these past few years. Um, there's a, a need to really sit back, reconsider, and rebirth your energy, rejuvenate yourselves. It's, it's important. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I loved doing that extra credit assignment for your class last year. Um, and the, I had a similar assignment with Shada 
Um, which I think is that in itself, like making it an assignment is actually like, but you actually have to talk to yourself and like, think about yourself is like, first of all, it shows like how it's an important part of the course that like important part of you learning is you taking care of yourself. Right. And I think that that's interesting to think about within an architectural classroom, because there's never like any of that, but it, but that assignment in itself, it's like, it's making you consider like your body, mind, spirit, as Ms. Shada says. And then it makes you consider like who you're designing for. Right. Which has been a big question in the back of my mind lately. And really think about the people that are going to be occupying your space and the people that you're constantly advocating for in your design and like making the solution for. I think it's very interesting, kind of like a new way of understanding like how we design for people and how we're actually thinking about people. But you can't really do that if you're not taking care of yourself. I don't know. I feel like it's like a very A to B no, you're right. And that's something that um, <laughs> that's something that's emphasized um, in, in practicum with, with clients and then also in courses that I've taken in the past is that we're no good to ourselves. Uh, we're not good to other people if we're not good to ourselves first. Mm-hmm. Um, and so making myself, making ourselves a priority, setting boundaries with our time, our commitments, um, and really our privacy in so many ways. Yeah. Um, and becoming okay with saying no. Mm-hmm. right we don't have to agree to do everything um only to those things that matter and that really need to be done but not overextending ourselves right now considering uh the pandemic and just where we're at I feel this collective sense of just exhaustion um <laughs> and 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 this depletion of energy I know at least for me I do um and so being in spaces like this with you and Shada and other colleagues and being in a synchronous Zoom session with students is kind of reviving for mm-hmm. me, for my spiritual energy. Yeah, definitely. Aw, how cute. Um, <laughs> not to kind of steer the direction in a negative way. I think we can somehow manage to make these things a positive thing, but I think that we can talk about the content that we talked about in our episode four with you, Manny, on intersectionality, positionality, and privilege, and some of the current events that we missed in the last couple weeks, or I guess like two, three months, um, because I think they are pretty relevant, not not just to the content and like the space that we're creating, but I think to us as individuals, right, we chatted a little bit about what it feels like and what it means to our respective communities um, to read certain things in the news, but I think it's important to actually like name them, right? And like say that we're, we are paying attention and that it does matter. Um, so one of the things that happened um, and actually happened on the day we recorded episode four was the end of the, oh, I'm sorry, kind of like a content warning, trigger warning, if you don't want to listen about any of the current events that happened in relation to Kyle Rittenhouse or anything like that. We take no offense. If you want to hop off, we totally understand. Um, But yes, on the day we recorded episode four, Kyle Rittenhouse was acquitted for the charges of having shot two people um, during BLM protests. And I just wanted to give a space to it for a second, because I think it's very relevant to how we consider how like news and those significant events impact 
marginalized communities and like how that's communicated through media for and from marginalized communities. So can you speak a little bit on that, Manny? Sure. So I will first say that I, um, as a professor, I think students expect, um, and I'm glad that they do, expect their faculty to be able to talk about things that are happening in the media and in the social world. And so that in itself forces me to be aware of these things mm -hmm. as they're very relevant to the topics that we discuss in class, whether that's with race, ethnicity, gender, sexuality, queer identities, and so forth, right? Um, but I also want to point out that as a human, apart from our identities as students and faculty, is that a lot of this is just kind of traumatizing in a way. Mm -hmm. It makes us kind of rethink the way that systems and structures operate and the way that they continue to privilege certain people from different backgrounds. Um, and so one, uh, in my intro to gender and sexuality class this past semester, we were talking about intersectionality and how certain people based on gender and um, ethnicity, if you will, um, are often awarded these privileges in justice systems. A lot of times things go overlooked, right? Well, other things are underlooked. And if we really think about the roots and the tenets of intersectionality, right? It started as a way for us to really examine how race and gender uh, were considered in the legal system. Um, and so that's very relevant today, but I think that also the beauty of that is that it, it's very expansive right? Mm -hmm. um, there is no one definitive definition of what that is because different fields have adopted it to um, marry their own theoretical tenets of what it is that they are studying or what's at the forefront um, of their discipline. But in considering what happened um, that day, I think it's important that we ask ourselves, had, had he not been white, would the outcome have been different? Mm -hmm. What do we think about that, right? I think that is at the forefront of people's question. Um, and clearly the concept of ethnicity, race, and even I would say gender too, mm -hmm. right? Um, I would go as far to say maybe even age. Somebody brought that up in my class. It's age, right. how, does, how is that affected? How did that impact the outcome of what was decided? Where are we now? What does that reiterate? Um, who we are as, 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 a, as a society, as a government. Um, where are we going? <laughs> where are we going, right? Where are we headed? Um, a student eloquently said, what's next? Simply, right? Like, mm -hmm. what's next? And so um, I think talking about these things, but also forewarning folks that this can be re-traumatizing to some people, especially if you've been at the receiving end of mm -hmm. that type of injustice, um, is something to consider. Definitely, yeah. You brought up a lot for me. <laughs> um, but I think, um, well, one, thinking about, like, like you said, like how society reacts to these things, I think for me, what it brought up is the lack of any sort of like message or communication within, I, at least from what I saw, um, from the architecture community compared to what the messages were summer 2020 when I believe when this happened, right? I think it was within all of those events. So it's like the lack of messaging. It's also kind of like just your... Um, 
it's like a complicity to like this narrative that we already know. Right. And I think I also agree with like just being exhausted and it's like, it's exhausting to not be surprised. Right. It's like, okay, we know, but it's also exhausting to, to just accept that over and over again and not have anyone really any more people be as upset to, in a reaction to those things. Um, and what I wanted to bring up was, I just thought it was very interesting. Like as we were talking about understanding intersectionality, understanding privilege um, is something that when I discovered the news, which I often do on Twitter, <laughs> it's like a lot of marginalized people are often the ones that feel like they have to say something, right? Because they're expected to, because they're expected to have, have this like sort of communication reaction even if it is like very similar to, to others and that like us, like we're not surprised, like it's upsetting, it's traumatizing, but it's just like a lot of weight on someone. And that's exhausting on a whole group of people to have to accept this over and over again. And just, so I thought it was interesting, like these two kind of um, forms of communication happening at the same time. It's like the lack thereof within my field's community and like the sort of expectation of marginalized people to have a reaction to say like, I saw the news and it's this, and you know, I feel this way, you know, it's like, it's very interesting to see the, the dichotomy in that. What you, your earlier note reminds me of what we discuss when we talk about um, privilege and understanding and allyship and advocacy in that those who are often oppressed, it's not their responsibility to educate you about their experience. Exactly. Um, because that is that in itself, I believe, is emotional labor for a lot of folks, mm -hmm. um, to which why I, I share, if you don't know the answer to something or if you don't know what X, Y, and Z identity means, look it up, <laughs> use the Google. <laughs> That's part of allyship. That's doing something. <laughs> right as as uh, sarcastic as that is mm -hmm. but that I think that's very relevant today um I also think that reading or I have found that reading and encouraging students to read on these topics and bring them to class um lands for more fruitful and enriching and insightful discussions definitely right? yeah oh, I was just gonna say it by doing so students share that they only read up until they feel uncomfortable and I fully respect that. Yeah, I, I mean, I've, I've definitely felt myself in that position. Um, and I also think like probably like influenced by making this space together is also like, oh, I should know all of these things that are going on and I should know everyone's reaction to it. Um, which isn't to say like, I, um, feel bad or anything, but it, it is a lot to carry, like knowing how other people feel about it. And it's like, that's where I think advocacy and allyship come into question, right? It's like, so what I can, what can I do in this situation? Understanding that there's like a very like heavy layer of privilege all like written all over this. Um, and I do think it's interesting really in an in intersectional lens, like considering who he is and his identity, who he considers he is, right? And at the center of that trial, um, especially being uh, surrounded by other stories of other people of completely opposite identities, being prosecuted for what I would say less moral crimes, right? Like lesser crimes. And so I think 
it is interesting like how it's framed within the news but then within my respective like field of study like the the lack of like engagement with that news as if it doesn't have relevance to us but I think it it very much does right because he represents an identity that kind of represents my field in a large way um and and what does that say if nine months ago we're talking about diversity inclusivity equity representation social justice but then we but we also are like in agreement, like we accept these things like constantly happening that I don't know if that's a point that I'm trying to make but I'm just trying to speak out loud <laughs> think out loud sure sure yeah. and, that, and that and that's okay I think this can go in many many different ways you mentioned something that reminds me of the the notion of being complacent mm-hmm. um, and being comfortable um which we mustn't be and I think that that's a huge part of a conversation that needs to happen when we talk about allyship and advocacy. Um, Yes, we understand that these unfortunate and these unjust things happen, um, but remaining complacent and kind of expecting them kind of not shift the blame back on us, but kind of positions us to say more if we say that we are allies or if we say that we are advocates. And I also think it's important to recognize that that's, that that's work right? Mm-hmm. It's, it's verbal work. <laughs> it's physical work. It's emotional labor, um, to which why I tell students it's important to voice your concerns and your opinions on things that you feel are unjust, right? But also realize when to take a step back and realize that you don't have to be at the forefront of everything because you have to take care of yourself too as part of this process, um, to which brings up the idea that um, in order to be um, an ally, um, you have to do something. Sure, mm-hmm. it, like it may be cute having a button on your backpack and that you support LGBT rights, but if I asked you, okay, what have you done for the community? Having a friend doesn't count. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> or going to a gay bar or gay club doesn't count, right? Even though they're fun, um, what, are you, what are you actively doing? And I also think it's important to, to call out that activism looks very differently for people, right? Mm-hmm. It does not always respectfully um, demonstrating or protesting or doing X, Y, and Z, which the media often um, overshadows <laughs> or um, not overshadows, but um, shows mm-hmm. in a lot, you get what I'm saying. Um, but understanding ways that you can show up for the community, show up quote unquote, um, so that you can do better, right? There's always a, a need to, to do better. Absolutely. And I think that's kind of why I made this show in the first place, because I think it can start as a student. I think with the information, hello, in the last few episodes of like really looking inward and thinking about who you are, like in the classroom, in society, in your family, like as your like what your identities are, what, what you're most proud of thinking about that and actually applying it to your design, thinking about it in historical analysis, like in your history courses and like writing about it, investigating it and really interrogating like what your identities mean within our whole field. Um, it's, it's like, it's a lot of work, right? It's like ongoing. Cause then you discover things that maybe you thought you knew and it's not maybe that way, or there's so much more than you thought you knew. 
And I just think it's like a very um, interesting position to be in as a student and say like, I'm comfortable with my identity and I'm going to talk about it in studio. I'm comfortable with my identity. I'm going to talk about it in history class. And it's, I feel like in my experience, that was not, I didn't have like the most optimistic reaction, but that didn't keep me from doing it. Right. And I think that it's like, you get to so many more interesting conversations. So, I mean, I would, that's what I would encourage others to do is like, really think about your position in different spaces and, and thinking about how you can contribute to like this conversation that makes us uncomfortable. Right. And like how we, what some, some things that we're, we're taught to avoid, but really it's, it can be so much more valuable within our respective like fields of study and like in, within our different communities too. Yeah. And I, I will say that, uh, of course I'm biased here and I recognize that, but that's why EWS Mm-hmm. exists. <laughs> I'm just going to say it, right? I think the majority, no, I'm not, I think, I know that the majority of faculty in the department um, are really, really um, working for providing safe spaces for students to talk about things that matter given what's happening in our world right now, which are very, very hot topics. So um, it's always interesting to see the diverse views, or not not see, hear the diverse views of students mm-hmm. Uh, specifically those who are um, first-year students um, versus those who are seniors, right, who have been there quite a while, uh, who have gained the knowledge, the foundational knowledge in early EWS classes, um, who are now, um, who are, who can now speak on behalf of what it is that we're talking about. And I think that we're seeing that a lot more in EWS capstone projects, um, where students have keen interests on courses that they've taken or topics that they've learned about and they are now translating them into research which is really exciting to me as as faculty that is very exciting I'm excited for them and I was waving because I was like I'm a senior now and I did that first intro course with you almost five years ago can you believe I was it five years ago was it (laughs) okay like four four and a half because I guess I think it was It was like 2017. 2017. It was, a, maybe it was a 2017. Oh my goodness. I'm maybe giving my age. We were um, so young back then. Naive. You know, you know, <laughs> you're right. You're right. You're right. It was, it was 2017. Cause I was getting mm-hmm. ready to, to, I was, I just finished my dissertation. <gasps> really? Oh, yes. Yes. Mm-hmm. yes. That's true. Yeah. Oh, reflect. Why have you grown? Oh, <laughs> some no, would like say, I, yeah. <laughs> well, like I always say, and 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 a, a selfish uh, plug-in for you here. You've you are an exemplary student to the department and a rising scholar in the field of your major, and also in gender and sexuality. And know that you're going to do great things. So keep it up. Don't forget about us and continue to do good work for the community because there are people out there who could really utilize your voice, especially women of color. I have um, trapped you into doing a podcast with me so that we never leave each other. So <laughs> and we're, good. <laughs> we're good. Okay, sure, sure. <laughs> um, let's, I think the next topic, um, which I think will be, will be our last. Um, thank you for everyone that's joined us here in this space first off before we transition we're very grateful for you um and i hope you 
you learned something in this space with us. Um, and if you ever have any questions or comments, feel free to add to the chat or you can message us on Instagram. We'll respond to you there as well. And if you want to talk to someone specifically, we'll tell you how to do that. If you're looking for resources, we'll tell you how to do that. So unfortunately, a, a few days ago, the iconic, the legendary Bell's Hooks passed away. Um, and I wanted to recognize her because she was actually very influential because she's so iconic, like in, like in my architecture studies, as well as my gender and sexuality studies. Um, but I'd love to hear from you first, Manny, like what significance Bell Hooks had and like how you think she's relevant, so relevant to this conversation about social justice, right? Sure, sure. My most important thing, she, she, I mean, she's a pioneer in, in our department. I, I can't begin to say how many times students have said, we're reading this again. <laughs> <laughs> and I just laugh, right? I laugh. I said, do the reading. <laughs> just doing the reading, right? That's the critique I get every semester. But um, we purposely assign these readings from the same author, perhaps sometimes the same, sometimes different. Um, because it's important for our students to really have a grasp of who this pioneer is and how that, how their ideology shaped the field, specifically mm -hmm. Bell Hooks. Um, I admittedly did not have the privilege of reading too much about her um, as an undergrad. It wasn't until I was at, in, in graduate school um, mm -hmm. at Columbia, in my multicultural counseling class, we read a, uh, an article by her. And one thing that really stood out to me, um, which was fitting for what I was experiencing at the time, as you may know, the imposter syndrome, <laughs> yes. um, was we were learning about tokenism and what that means and how it was very relevant to what Bell Hooks uh, once wrote, uh, termed the native informant, right? Mm -hmm. Which is very relevant to what tokenism is. Yes. Um, Go ahead. No, I was like, wow, that you just brought up oh. a term that like <laughs> brought me back to your class. Yeah. 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 Um, and, and I think for many uh, students of color, that's very relevant, um, particularly for me, as it was at Columbia being all across um, the U.S. With, with no family and being the only brown person, queer brown person in class mm -hmm. um, at that matter where Everybody came to me for everything gay and Latino or Latinx, Latina. Sure, I'm happy to, happy to be a, a, a voice, but my voice doesn't represent the entire community or um, homosexual community, queer community, if you will. Mm -hmm. um, and so that is one thing, that's one concept that I read in, in, in that uh, article that was from a book that she had written um, earlier in the day. Um, that really resonated with me. And that's something that I tell students is to think about these things, situate them in your own life so that you can arrive at your own counter story. Um, and this is the significance of why we are always introducing you to these pioneering authors who are helping shape the field of queer feminist uh, ethnic studies, if you will, which is very relevant to our department. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I encountered her first in my feminist theory course, um, which was maybe my second year at Cal Poly. Um, and I took the course before I had like declared my minor. So I was like, I'm just doing this for fun. I, I want to learn more about feminism. Right. And I read her and I was like, oh, like she's really putting to words like how I feel about certain things. And it was just so spectacular. 
And then I discovered later on within my architectural courses, um, her pieces on space and understanding what space means specifically to the black community and like home ownership and taking care of your space and what that signifies, you know, for different families and different things. And I was like, it's just so, it, yeah, it was just amazing how she was able to really speak on like on behalf of her own life experiences, but actually helping you understand from a different perspective or like what these different things mean. And I think it was most impactful in, in well, I think in both places, but especially in an architectural course um, where I don't think I would have found that sort of perspective or, or her way of really um, verbalizing what, what that significance was um, if I hadn't like just come across it. Right. Especially like with what we're normally taught. So like being able to learn from like a black woman about the significance of like home and space and like care within the home, you know, within the black community, I thought that was so special. And so I feel like this is me highly recommending to all of you to read bell hooks. I think we can upload that to our resources page. So at the end of the day, if you want to come across some of her work, we can, we can do that. Um, but yeah, it's just so special too um, when the news came out, how reading about how significant she was within everyone's respective lives, whether it was in academia or not. Um, I just think it's so special to really have someone that like can verbalize, like I said, those things to you um, and some maybe in some um, sort of practices that you don't understand yourself. I know one of her pieces that were significant was about like care within parent and child relationships and what it means to actually care about like how you show care and love to your family members. I thought that was very nice as well to really like see like, <laughs> like this like universal respect towards her. Um, and so it was like kind of like reflecting on like how she impacted the way I understand architecture, um, you know, within the classroom or within like our respective communities. Yeah. Do you have um, anything else to add, Manny? Uh, not to this. I, I think the, the the field, other than aside from saying that the field, um, I'm excited to see where the field is going and the influences that she will leave as we are now entering a new um, area of study without her voice, right? Like how is the field right. going to be affected? By this, and that's not to dismiss um, the work that other scholars have have written, but also she was so um, important to so many people. Um, as we, as I introduce her to um, some of my some of my classes in ethnic identity. Yeah, definitely, and I think it's it's very it's just for me like very exciting. Um, it's very nice knowing that there was someone that kind of like between our two worlds, right? Like very, very easily like linked them within their own lived experience. And um, I think it's nice to know that there's, there's um, significant things to learn from others. Like even if they're not, if their background is in architecture, right? Like what their lived experiences are like are, like when they're impacted by architecture, when they're impacted by, um, injustices like segregation and redlining and you know all those things that influence our overall understanding of architecture and environmental design um so yeah shout out to bell hooks she's great 
And I think that's everything for us. Nana, do you have any closing notes as we wrap season one of our of our fabulous show? Uh, none aside from I look forward to what we will develop and create um, next semester. Um, I think feeling re-energized and refreshed from the break, um, coming up with new ideas. We have a lot. Uh, it's just a matter of pointing of, of pointing at them, right? And yeah, and continuing to to create and cultivate spaces for us to have these conversations because um, students want them. From what I understand in my classes, but aside from the courses that students take, where else are they having them? Right. So this out or this platform provides an outlet for that. Definitely. Yeah. I'm also very excited to, for us to have a little vacation and to come back re-energized next semester. Um, I'm very much looking forward to season two of our show. I think we'll be welcoming some um, well-known faces at Cal Poly to our show and to talk about their perspectives um, within their expertise and as well as like within their life experience about what the relationship between architecture and social justice is. Um, and I think that it'll be, it'll be very exciting because it's like something we can all learn from. Um, but yeah, there's a lot of conversations we have yet to have that really will set the foundation of like understanding what these two terms mean to us. Um, so I'm, I'm very excited. Um, I want to say thank you to everyone for joining us for this live recording. We're so very grateful to have you here in this space with us. Even if, you know, you've never met Manny <laughs> or me, we're very grateful and excited. Um, and we hope to have another conversation with you next semester as well. I'll point you again to if you have any questions, comments, suggestions, you can um, DM us on Instagram. We're at Disrupting Place. Um, you'll also find in our links like a resources. We have a Dropbox of a bunch of readings and links to videos that you can you know, further engage with in terms of like their respective episodes about disability justice, about intersectionality, um, about key terms like everything, everything that you want to learn about, we'll, we'll have links for you there. Um, so yeah, that, that wraps up our season wrap up. Thank you, everyone.